Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Rubbish Talk with myself, Alistair Meldrum. And myself, Alicia Campbell. Fear not, we have not abandoned Jane Bond again. Uh, Jane Bond is on later with the interview with our guest this week is Sheila Best from Perth and Kinross Council. Uh, so more about Sheila later, but before we go, usual roundup of, of snippets and news from the waste sector from myself and Alicia. So the first one I've got is there was a, a members of the House of Lords committee that looked at the Environment and Climate Change Committee took over oral evidence about the lack of battery recycling capacity in the UK. So this was primarily to do with electric vehicles and the fact that there's not actually sufficient uh, capacity for recycling the batteries. Uh, I, I personally don't think that's excluded to just electric vehicle batteries. I think there's a whole lack of capacity in the UK for battery recycling full stop. So it's interesting that the the House of Lords is, is looking into this. And as usual, with all these items, we'll share a little link uh, in the show notes if anybody's interested in, in the articles. And I think, Alicia, you've, you've, you've found something a bit more to do with a sweet tooth, I think. Yeah. So um, a recent study that's been carried out by researchers in Turkey, um, they have proposed a new sustainable solution for winery waste. Um, so this new solution is that from the winemaking industry, the leftover can be used in gelatin-based sweets. Um, and this can be used as a low-cost natural colouring agent with added health benefits, so otherwise known as wine gums. So any sort so of pro- wine proper waste. proper wine gums. Proper wine yeah, gums proper then, wine gums, alcoholic <laughs> wine gums um, with added health benefits. So you've got two two advantages there. Um, and as usual, this, we'll, we'll link the, the study and the show notes so you can have a wee bit of it. It's quite interesting and it, it goes into the kind of more sciencey side of things and how they extract the the wine and, and put it back into the, the gelatin. Sounds, sounds fascinating. Sounds fascinating. The, the, other, the other one I, I picked up was, um, is a, 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 I can never pronounce it straight, Akedo Retail, who and Agile Base, I don't think they're particularly based in Scotland, but they've they've been trying the system uh, with a recycling company, Polytag, and this is to do with with trying to so if you buy a, a, a carton of milk, what it allows you to do if if it's got this tag in it, what you're allowed to do is scan it and before you put it in your recycling system, and you can claim credits and so on for it. So to try and encourage uh, re- recycling using you know, smart codes on, on, on the products. It's quite an interesting uh, trial that's, that's, that's been going on. And it's quite interesting. Eventually, well, at the moment, there's a lot of talk in the sector and it's not something we've particularly talked about in the podcast. There's this extended producer responsibility whereby the producers of the, the products are going to need to pay into the system to make sure their products is, are, are being recycled. And this is maybe one of the ways that supermarkets are looking to, to do this. It will still rely on the council collection service, but at least then they can demonstrate that they're achieving the recycling standards. So certainly one to watch. So next, moving on to something fashion related. So the Textile Repair Centre um, in London um, has 
started a new project um, in partnership with Patagonia, um, the clothing brand. So their aim is to employ and train people who have challenges in finding employment and high quality clothing repairs. So what they're aiming to do is introduce this project where people can bring their old Patagonia wear to the repair centres and they can have their clothes repaired. And obviously this is to try and aim to make people use their clothes longer and practice conscious consumption so that instead of throwing something away when it has a small ripple tear or it's a little bit damaged, we can actually go and get it fixed and, and keep it in circulation for longer um, instead of just disposing of it. And if you've, had, if you've actually ever gone to purchase a Patagonia jacket or something you'll fully understand why you want to make it last longer because usually the cost of absolute fortune yeah uh-huh yeah. so i can understand but, as well why we would want to repair them they're not they're not they're not the cheapest brand but it is interesting that you know they, in fairness to patagonia they have been quite active in this this area for a while that uh, they, they, they do have a, a a fairly active or a very active uh return scheme and a repair scheme for for for, for their products so so well well done in them for doing that and I, I noticed that was first launched in they launched it in Amsterdam or something first and now they've just brought it across to the UK so yeah, yeah that's, that's that's quite interesting and then finally just it's probably totally unrelated but it quite tickled me was the story on BBC about the man who's rescuing uh, glowworms and I, I can always remember vividly being in, in the south of France, staying at a friend's place, which literally had no streetlights any place. And I remember being out for a walk in the dark when it was pitch dark and being absolutely fascinated by these wee uh, glowworms that, that were moving about. Uh, and this, this young cons- conservationist has been rescuing them by setting up habitats in his garden and so on. So well, well done him. Yeah, that's a nice one to finish off with. And then I think we're on to a little bit of brief Albion news. Albion news, yeah. Um, so our newsletter is up and running. We've managed to sort out our little bit of technical issues, so it should be due to go out. Um, we're just working on getting a little tab added onto the website where you can click on and sign up there but for now if you just go on to the section where you can it asks you to add comments or if you have anything to submit if you if you submit your email in there we'll make sure that you're added onto our mailing list and yeah keep your eyes peeled on our socials for anything coming out about the newsletter and how to sign up yeah and i think i think we're going to go back as far as David Balmer's one, and we're going to start going forward from there. Uh, probably worth waiting until we do send out because we've got obviously got an Albion mailing list that we're going to share out with, and hopefully that'll that'll cover some of our listeners. But if you if you're feeling left out, by all means share your email, uh, and we'll get you added on, and we'll we'll make sure there's no duplicates there if you're on if you're on a number of times. Uh, so yeah, l- looking forward to that going out. Uh, and more a little update on the rubbish talk going live uh, it is now confirmed it's going to happen on the 8th of December quite what is going to happen on the 8th of December has still to be decided it will certainly be in front of an audience uh, we have got thoughts of trying to record it and go live on probably something like YouTube or something 
So watch this space and we'll certainly announce the full details at the next Rubbish Talk podcast. And with it coming to kind of mid-November, I think everyone's starting to think about Christmas. And I've seen quite a lot of Christmas campaigns and stuff coming out over the past few weeks. So we are going to be starting with our Christmas campaign at the beginning of December. We're going to be running a little sort of digital advent calendar and that will be relating to Rubbish Talk. Afraid, afraid no chocolates. No chocolates coming out yeah. from this. There will be a social media. There'll not, there'll not be a chocolate advert calendar or a wine gum advert calendar. No. Uh, and, then, and I think that leaves us just to introduction. So myself and Jane Bond interviewed Sheila Best, who is the Waste Services Manager at Perth and Kinross Council. We've actually been trying to get Sheila for a number of months now. She's probably been our hardest guest to pin down, but she had she had very valid reasons for that and she sort of explains at the start of the podcast. So really interesting insight into what she's been doing at Perth and Kinross, some of the service changes she's done, and also the uh, some thoughts on, on on food waste, recycling, and the wider issues regarding food and how we manage food, you know, you know, across all society uh, within that podcast, and some information about our hobbies, as always. So, over to myself, Jane, and Sheila. Hi, Sheila. Lovely to see you. Nice to nice to chat to you today. Hi, Jane. Hi, Alistair. Thanks for having me on. Good, good to see you, Sheila. You've been one of the one of the harder guests to get hold of. Uh, I think it was back in the summer we first contacted you. So, uh, yeah, lovely so to I see you. Yeah, so thanks very much for your patience, and thought I would sort of maybe address that before we start. So, when you asked me, um, yeah, it was around the summer. Um, we were actually about to sort of award uh, some of our big contracts which I couldn't talk about publicly at that point. And they do sort of lead back to some of your previous guests um, so that we can maybe talk about that a bit later. So I'm excited to be here because it now means I can talk about all the projects in full and can share a bit more about that. Um, And secondly, um, I suppose being asked to do this, I have massive imposter syndrome because I think I'm now, what, podcast 24. Um, Yeah. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. You've had some amazing guests on here. I think the range of experience, the insights. I mean, you've had the likes of Robin Baird, Jim Brown. Um, But in particular, I really want to give a shout out to Simon Glenn. So he was episode seven. He's still still sitting at number one to this day and has been for a long time. Do you know, I am not surprised. I love his voice and he could have a separate career, I think. Uh, in meditative um, meditative podcast or something like that but also his insights are amazing so I just want to say I'm getting this in early I'm, I'm campaigning for Simon Glenn part two so you need to bring him back I think we, we, for a further uh, you, one. You're not the first person to ask that so we'll maybe, we'll maybe need to we'll maybe need to talk nicely to him and see if he'll, 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 he'll come on again. Yeah he does love a rant and we like to yeah, we like to get in, get him on the contra- controversial topics because it's great to listen to somebody like that to talk about all these things and with such a big insight, I think, as well, isn't it? You know, talking from knowing about it rather than just, you know, thinking it's not such a great idea. 
yeah massive insight massive passion and also a little another little request for me is maybe a highlight show because I think listening back there's so many great insights and points that people have brought out it'd be great to expand on that so just to say just, you know just have want- massive Watch this space, Sheila. We've got a Christmas <laughs> special planned. Ah. Right. We're going to just go through a number of questions for you. Um, the one, I suppose, the one to start off with is is about who you currently work for and a bit of background about the organisation and a bit about your role as well. And, you know, that might bring out some of the projects you've been working on and things like that. So it'd be really good um, to hear all about that, Sheila. So yeah, so I'm Sheila Best. Um, I've got about 20 years experience um, in the resource and environmental management sector. I'm currently Waste Services Manager for Perth and Kinross Council. And for those that maybe don't have very good geography, obviously we sit within the middle of Scotland. We're a large rural authority. So we go from the top end of Highland Perthshire, Kinloch Rannoch, right down to Loch Leven, Kinrosshire. Um, we have a small city of Perth and we have lots of surrounding towns, 76,000 households, 150,000 residents. So lots of challenges in terms of the work we do just by the geography um, that we're operating in. So when people ask me, like, what do I do? I've got a very short answer and I, and I tell people that I do bins and bogs because not only do I do waste, I do public conveniences as well, which is another little gem, and maybe that's a second. Oh, that's a, in that's a first for the podcast. We need oh, to know we more about that, public conveniences. <laughs> yeah, so human waste, not you know, you think waste itself is glamorous, human waste, um, and the provision of public toilets for the public even more exciting. So, though we do we do other things apart from waste in the team, but obviously I'll talk a bit more about the waste side of things. The longer answer um, to give you that is we're a team at at the moment of about 21 officers and I'm responsible for the strategic planning, the development and the management of services which support both the collection side but also the disposal of waste and recycling materials and essentially you know like any other local authority we're there to sort of deliver the statutory functions of the council. So lots of things that we have to make sure we are doing to keep ourselves right. Um, so as I've mentioned, we we have 76,000 households. So my team essentially are the customer interface for that. Um, and we also have 1,800 commercial customers as well. So we've got a commercial waste team. We're doing work around that as well. And we're probably a bit different to other local authorities. Some waste managers do both the operational side and the strategy side. We have a separate operations team. So we've got operations manager um, and all the supervisors that manage the day-to-day in the front line. So we have to have a very um, close relationship with them in order to deliver all the work we're doing. So within the team, there's a number of functions we have. So obviously we have the community waste side, a number of officers dealing with our kind of collection services. We have our commercial waste team. But we also do all the procurement. So we have about 26 contracts and we manage um, all the, the contract procurement, the contract management. We do waste data um, and your favourite topic, waste compositional analysis. So we help arrange <laughs> that, which is always the joy each year. Um, we, and we have waste, waste awareness. Um, we do lots of work around the education, the communication side. Um, and waste minimisation. And we also do things like litter and fly tipping. And as I've mentioned at the beginning, we do public toilets, but we get involved in a lot of other corporate pieces of work. So 
generally where we sit, we also um, are feeding in to the, the Council's Climate Change Board. So that's a really interesting piece of work I've been involved in. So leading on a waste and circular economy group and working closely with colleagues in economic development around that. And also I'm really passionate about sustainable procurement. And I think as local authorities, we've got lots more we could be doing about how we're spending public money. So at the moment, I'm currently sitting on a procurement and commissioning transformation board and helping to chant champion sustainable procurement within our organisation. And we've got a long way to go um, with that as well. Quite interested, such a lot that you get involved within our council, isn't it? I think people kind of forget it's just, you know, people just think, oh, it's getting my bins moved. But there's so much other parts to it. And like you were saying, the sort of climate change side of it, sustainable procurement and all that kind of thing. And and, and obviously with your public toilet, it's very important. Um, but yeah, it, and I think there's lots of pressures, aren't there? And lots of challenges to trying to, and I think budgets and balancing everything. And, you know, because like you say, like like I think people only see the when they don't get their bin replaced and or or taken away or whatever because I think I've got quite a few friends who live up in Creef and they were talking about their new bin the new grey bin that's yeah. right they were telling me all about their new new bin and I thought well, that's a bit that, exciting that might be Sheila's favourite project that might be one of the later questions it might um, be actually I did wonder about that because I knew you were going to ask me about that and at the moment uh, probably as a team we're probably not saying it's our favourite project right now in that <laughs> We're in the midst of rolling it out and with any rollout and any anyone that's ever done a service change project, particularly at this scale, and I have to say we've done a lot of service change um, over the years, but we've never done every single household at the same time. We usually do it in phases. So that has been a massive challenge for us um, as a team and also the timeline we had to deliver it was extremely tight. So we have learned a lot as a team on that project but yeah the, the grey bin for those that don't know we're we're basically splitting our blue bin which was dry mixed recycling and we're moving to paper and card in our blue bin and we're moving to um, cans plastics and cartons in the grey with the added bonus and, and this was one I couldn't talk about a couple of months ago um, we're working with Sereco and I know you've had Robin Baird on on the podcast we're working with them to take our material but including the likes of films plastic um, flexible packaging foil etc so really exciting for us to actually be moving forward with a, a new recycling service that's taking a lot more material out residual waste and you'll be really pleased to hear this Alistair but we have used our, our recent waste compositional analysis and part of looking at this new service change was the fact that we had about nine percent of residual waste um, in that category that we weren't capturing. Um, so already the feedback we're getting from residents, including myself, because now I've been using the grey bin, it, it actually puts a bit of shame on you when you see how much packaging as a family you create. Um, I think it also means we have to stop eating as many crisps because we're putting our crisp packets in there so we can see how many crisp packets <laughs> the kids are eating. Um, so yeah, it's a great opportunity, I think, to drive more material out the residual waste which you know like you're saying Jane has a massive financial benefit for us as an organisation as well as the other benefits of increasing our recycling rate and also helping us to tackle contamination which has been a big problem um, that we've had over recent years. I was quite jealous actually 
because they were telling me all about the fact that all this plastic packaging and and film and all and everything was being collected and I was thinking well brilliant like you know we need that in the other authorities too and it was just saying you know at the end of the day when you look in your residual bin there's, there can't be a massive stuff there. in there because so much of well you know so much of the, the the residual bin is you know bits of packaging and film and things like that that you can't actually get rid of um in the normal well you, you know in a lot of the recycling um mixed recycling collections so yeah sounds brilliant yeah I mean even personally even though I've done this project I think till you actually get to the point where you're using the bin yourself I think even I've surprised myself about that like how little now we can actually put in in the residual it's, it, it is very minimal now um but also I suppose it does make you reflect on maybe what you're buying the packaging content do you know too much amazon delivery in my household i have to say that small packages and, and big packaging so it does make you start to think about more and it gives you that visual sense of the packaging you're actually producing but phenomenal in terms of the reduction in residual and already on social media last night we had a lady saying we think you've got the the scheduling of the bins wrong because we haven't moved um, our residual way so at the moment we have a 140 litre we're collecting every fortnight and we haven't moved that um, and already people are saying well I don't you know I'd rather have my recycling bin collected more often um, and actually you could probably reduce that so next year as a team hopefully we're going to look at doing some more public consultation around you know how people are finding the new service and is there an appetite to move to reducing that residual capacity further, which will be controversial, and I think it always is, but we need time for people to bed into the new service first, and then that's something we can look at doing. But already, great feedback from the public that are using the service, um, and how positive that is. People are seeing that reduction. That's very good answer. I'll let you. I'll let you. Yeah, sorry for the noise. I've had a wee pile of pound coins here I've dropped. Uh, no, I, I was thinking to put it into context, Sheila. I'm, I'm conscious of the, the the Rishi Sunak thing with the seven bins. So at the moment, Perth and Cross, how many bins have you got? You've got food waste, you've got garden waste, which is, you, you go. So you. We, we are, yeah, so we, we have a residual 140 uh, collected yeah. on a fortnightly. We have a mixed food and garden service. Um, which is again on a fortnightly basis and now we've got the, the the blue bin and the grey bin which are alternating so they will be collected monthly on the alternate fortnight and yeah. um, what we have reflected on and I know you've talked a lot on this podcast about food and it's definitely something we are we're looking at again it's great to have a mixed a co-mingled service particularly in a rural authority where it's really challenging from a, a collection point of view but what we did feel was that in some areas particularly per city centre where we didn't have that service got a lot of flats a lot of communal properties part of um this new service change which was funded through recycling improvement fund was let's put in just food food only hubs so throughout the city centre we've done that and then on the back of that because it was that was quite successful we've now rolled that to, out to some of the other towns again where people are are not got access to that kind of co-mingled service so it's trying to find those bespoke solutions that kind of suit the geography um, but we're very conscious that we're not reaching everybody with an organics collection so we have to kind of rethink about what we're going to do for those that are not currently on are we going to continue to expand that and there's there's costs associated with that um or are we going to look at things like helping to promote kind of 
community composting, composting, other initiatives like that. So there's a lot more um, we need to be doing around that. So yeah, that's that's the service we've currently got at the moment. It's quite the food waste is quite a big thing, isn't it? Because I know I was doing some lectures at a university um, last week and we were talking or this week but we were talking I was and it was all students so MSc students or um, and sort of undergraduate students we were talking about waste and recycling all that sort of stuff and one of the things they were saying that where they are it's not in Persia I'll just say that now (laughs) where they are they don't have any food waste collections you know and that's in the city that's in the city centre and when again my my daughter is at the university there and and she was saying I've got I've got she said mum I need a food waste bin I need a food waste bin because you know I'm so used to I'm not used to putting my food waste now into my residual and I don't like doing it and I'm thinking yes I brought her up well but I guess it's it is that food waste isn't it I'm making sure people have got access to that um yeah you know, and and if I, there's and no that... access in a city centre where you would think you would have everything then you know what hope have you got really and that that was definitely the feedback we received we had a number of residents in the city centre just saying you know you're offering this service elsewhere and we really want to use it now you know being realistic we're we're not maybe getting massive um, recovery of food waste in the city centre but what we are seeing people that want to use it are using it correctly Um, and so so you have very little contamination because they're actively choosing to use that as a service so that's what's been really positive about it which is why we we very quickly thought this is kind of working in the city centre so let's roll this out to some of the other towns um, where we know that access is not available so I think in every location you know you've got to take your base you know collection service but then think what are the opportunities to evolve that and for some of those areas it might be a bespoke service that you're sort of providing to, to get that recovery. I think the waste composition as well, looking at that again after you've rolled out everything would be really good. Um, I know, you know, we've obviously done some waste composition analysis for you previously. And I think was a was a quite a good video that was done, wasn't there, on um the waste composition, which I think was quite it was quite good. We'll have to share that. Belisha, we, should share, we that. should share that we should share that video actually. We can still find it, can't we, Sheila? Yeah, we still got that. And I think we've done a lot of videos over the years showing our recycling journey for dry mix recycling. We've done the same with our organics because there's a great circular story with that because it gets processed up at Ben Farm. So I think the videos, I think, have always really done well. And I think the waste composition analysis, and it's one thing, I suppose, for any any younger listeners or people new in the industry listening to this, um, one of the first things I did uh, when I came, you know, came into Perth and Ross Council, was I I actually did a waste compositional analysis. Alicia, Alicia's on this call, by the way, listening in. So hopefully she's taking note of what you're saying here, Sheila. <laughs> I think it's really important, and I got one of the the girls in the office. She she came to help me, and she said, "Yeah, I don't mind coming to help, but are you just going to promise there's not going to be any rats in the transfer station?" And I said, "No, no, it's fine." And we tip tip the waste on the floor, and then three minutes in. I see this giant rat appear <laughs> out of nowhere and I thought I'm just not mentioning that to her she's not going to continue doing this but I think it's really important that you get involved in in doing some of those things because it really is eye-opening and that's part of the reason we wanted to do the video because I think it, it actually shows people when we talk about or oh, we do waste composition what does that actually look like what does that actually mean and you know what information are we get, getting from that and so we've we've done that um 
you know we've done that on a regular basis and it's really it's been really useful for us helping assess when we're doing any kind of service changes so we're going to rerun that um in the new year uh once we've once we've let the service bed in a bit more and hopefully we will see um some big changes across some of those yeah. categories You've just you've just reminded me of the Laura Young podcast, but she actually recommended doing a doing a personal waste analysis, keeping your waste for a week, and then having a having a, a search through it and finding all these crisp bags. Sheila. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm thinking we might do a wee a, a wee session with a few different residents, just maybe doing a bit of that and just doing a bit of a show and tell on what the new system means for them and what what are they seeing now in the residual like what is left in that residual bin um so i think yeah we will do it because i think the visual really helps people i think the other thing which i've heard uh rory who's been leading the project he went up to dundee um to buy some new bins for his kitchen because obviously the big part of this is now you have to sort of resort how you're going to do that in your kitchen or whatever area you're in and he went into the shop to buy them and the lady said oh is this is this to do with the new grey bin in Perth? She said we've sold out of kitchen, but everyone's been in buying bins to separate the waste. Now we didn't have to buy a new bin, but what we have done, we had a big bin for a residual. We've now swapped that for the grey bin, and we've now got a tiny the tiny bin is now residual. So we didn't need to buy a new bin, but it definitely shows that you can actually flip that round. So I think that's been the big change for a lot of residents is a number of people have said to me I've had to go and reset up my kitchen or set up my, my internal system to to sort of facilitate this because it is a big change change for people. Yeah and I, I think my top tip with that is I think the the box the plastic I know there are plastic boxes but the plastic boxes you can buy at IKEA two two fit under a standard unit side by side so you can have one for your paper cardboard one for your, your plastic and okay they're not that big but they're you know they're they're big enough to that you're not in and out emptying them, you know every day sort of thing. So there we go. Anyway, move, moving on slightly, going going back a little step, Sheila. What what brought in brought, what brought you into the world of waste management? Was it on purpose or was it by mistake? So this is a bit of a long story. So you <laughs> might need to be a cup of coffee for this one. Um, and probably like a lot of people know, it wasn't originally my intention. So, do you know what, at my school, careers advice was quite simplistic and I got quite good grades. And so the, the kind of two options were um, medicine or law. And personally, and I don't know if you've ever seen me, but I love a suit, I love wearing a suit. And at that time, when I was sort of 17, 18, all, I loved all the kind of legal dramas like Ally McBeal, Ally Law, for the younger audience, uh, now suits. Um, so I thought this is me I'm going off to Edinburgh University and I'm going to study law and I'm going to have an amazing suit and maybe eventually I might be in a courtroom you know wearing the wig and the gown and so in my first couple of years I really loved criminal law and I thought this is this is where my future is going and at the end of second year they burst my bubble because you needed to get a certain um, grade in your exam to kind of move on to do that in your honours year and so instead and I also have to say we'll come back to this later I also failed contract law which is not good but I do a lot of that now and it has been really useful um so they so basically when you don't get you don't make the cut they give you a list of what's left you get the leftovers and at that point I really thought am I going to continue doing law is this is this for me 
And on the list was environmental law. And I was like, oh, this sounds a bit different. And the reason it was different, because with law, um, and I know you've had law on as well, you do a lot of essays um, about stuff that's quite theoretical. But with environmental law at honours, they ask you to do a project. And so I thought, great, this sounds, this sounds a bit different. This is quite practical, which you don't get in law. And at the time, my dad worked for Scottish Water and he said, I've got a contact in the air SEPA office. So why don't you come down, have a wee chat with them and see if you can come up with a wee project that you could write about. So I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy down at the air SEPA office was very welcoming. And that was my first introduction to, and this is the first acronym, EPA. So the Environment Protection Act 1990, which has been a foundation of my career. Um, so we we chatted about that and SEPA at that time were having a bit of a problem with Section 59, um, which is about the power. James <laughs> just waving it around in front of the camera to prove she's read it. <laughs> I think every week I'm ducking back in, checking those provisions. So anyway, this was Section 59, powers to re require removal of waste unlawfully deposited. Now, I can't remember what I wrote on this but some I felt like I'd found some legal loophole with SEPA and wrote this great dissertation and absolutely loved it and that was my first introduction to the EPA but also SEPA I'd never heard of SEPA I didn't know what SEPA did and I was like wow this is fascinating so kind of roll on I got through my final two years and at that stage the option was I could go on to be a lawyer but there was only a couple of firms in Scotland at that stage really focusing on environmental law and you still had to go and do other stuff and I thought I'm not really interested in the other stuff I really I really like this environmental law but how can I do that in a different way and when you looked at jobs in, at SEPA in the time at the time a lot of them were looking for qualifications or academic qualifications which I didn't have so I was like, how do I bridge the gap between a law degree and getting into the environmental management sector? And around that time, a couple of things happened. So my uncle in America was an environmental consultant and had a little project. He was doing some due diligence uh, and it involved a company in Scotland. And he phoned me and said, can you go and find out this information for me? And this is, again, before you had internet, right? I could have probably done this in three minutes nowadays, but it involved me phoning up various people, getting information, um, and he paid me really well for it. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. I absolutely love this. Um, I got another little job with another consultancy in Edinburgh, and same thing, absolutely loved it. And I thought, I can't believe you can get paid to do this. So at that time, there was a careers fair, and there was a guy from Stirling Uni there, and they had a master's in environmental management. And I spoke to him and I thought, this is it. This is how I'm going to kind of bridge that gap and move into that area. So I spent the most amazing year at Stirling University with the most amazing bunch of people I've ever met. And I'm saying that because we actually had our 20 year reunion last week. So we all met up in Edinburgh. And I think it's real testament. And I know, um, I think maybe Simon Glenn talked about this when he talked about Glasgow Cali, but if you look at who was on that course that year and you look at where they are now in the environmental sector, everyone is doing amazing work, whether that's consultancy, whether that's, you know, academia um, 
and there's quite a number in the way sector. So I think whatever they were doing in terms of that course, what they, what they did do was ensure you were ready to go into the world of work and that you had relevant a relevant degree that could help you move move forward. So that was a fantastic year. And on the back of that, one of the guys on the course had got a job at Aloha Community Enterprises, which at that time was doing um, a lot of the recycling service for Clip Manager Council. And he said, Sheila, they need a bit of help. Do you want to come up for a month um, to do that? Now, I, I have to say, I had moved back home at this point and was living with my mum and dad. And every day my mum was saying, when are you moving back out, Sheila? You need to go. <laughs> so I thought, great, this is it. I'm going to go for a month. And again, this is a wee lesson to other people maybe at the start of their career. And I thought, I'm going to go there and I'm going to make myself indispensable so that at the end of the month, they're not going to want to get rid of me. And that's essentially what happened. I just did anything required. So I kind of made myself the office manager and was involved in, you know, the recycling side of what they were doing, the reuse side. And that was a great way into the industry in terms of learning the ropes and I was there a year and I learned a lot and I was there at the same time as Ian Gullant so that was him pre-Zero Waste Scotland days you know so there was a lot of people from the industry kind of coming in and out met a lot of people and really got to understand okay wait a minute this waste industries and recycling this is really interesting so from there I got a job my first job at Perth and Knoss Council um, and I started right right at the bottom in terms of uh, I was working around commercial waste and that was my kind of first sort of step in at that point and from there I've done a lot of different roles in the organisation um, from the ground up, learned a lot of different things and that's that's where I've got to today. Perfect, perfect. So another another accidental waste waste person. <laughs> I did leave for a bit though so I don't know how, I don't know if you've had any on the podcast so I did for a while I worked in the planning department and I did strategic environmental assessment work so I left the waste team and it was interesting and I did enjoy my time there and that's when I was um, starting a family so it kind of fitted around what, what was going on in my personal life but I really missed it and so when the opportunity to Kate came a new job came back up in the waste team I thought I need to come back to do this because I have really missed the work so I did go but I did come back is that once a waster, always a waster, is that? Yeah. <laughs> Never get to escape. Never get to escape, really. No. You've had it. So that great, great summary of your career. Any any sort of standout roles or projects you've had or, or ones you think, oh, thank goodness, I've never had to do that again? So I think there's a couple. So from my early years, and I think, again, some of, the, some of your guests in the podcast have sort of talked about this. So when I came in, which was... Uh, 2004 that was kind of the you know that strategic waste fund era so at Perth and Ross they had just built this new team and we were all really young really enthusiastic and it was like you know here's a project or you know crack on and so because I was working on the commercial waste side um, I was involved in rolling out you know the new cardboard recycling service for businesses and then we evolved the glass recycling service and I have to say that was probably really pivotal for me because particularly if you're doing a, a new service and you've got to go in I was going into working men's clubs I got thrown out of places while I was doing that project I was this young lassie 
And I was told, no, you're not allowed to come in here. You need to go around the back entrance. Um, and it was hard going. It was hard going because a lot of businesses at that time didn't really understand why they would need to change what they were doing with their waste. And, and as much as we talked about the environmental, the majority of the time we were talking about the financial benefit to businesses. But it was it was tough going, but rewarding because we then really changed what we were doing um, with commercial businesses and that then evolved in later roles to things like rolling out commercial food waste etc so the early years were great because you know like the waste composition analysis right you know the the recycling service rollouts it was like you're getting stuck in and you're actually you know getting to do great work and the other thing I loved at that time which I was told because at the time I worked uh, under Bruce Rieke which I know a lot of people know in the industry I really wanted to do some work with Tea in the Park, obviously one of the biggest, you know, well-known festivals. And it was down uh, in Conross area at that time, at Balado. And I really wanted, I really personally wanted to go and see the bands, but I really wanted to go and see what was going on with the Wayside. And eventually we got to do that. And over the years, we had a great relationship um, with the organisers of Tea in the Park. Um, and over time, they brought in, you know, more professional people to work around what they were doing on that side of things. So got to do great things like that over the years. But I think for me more recently, um, the last 18 months have been phenomenal in terms of what we are doing as a team. And I think like a lot of local authorities, we don't move that quickly in terms of changes. So we have a waste management plan, which was written in 2010. And each year we annually review that, depending on what's coming out in terms of policy and legislation. But there was a number of things that have been in there for a long time, including that we wanted to move away from landfill. Um, and so my predecessors, you know, Bruce before me and, and the predecessor before him, you know, we've, we've talked about this for a long time and it's taken us a long time to get to that point. And I, I've got a wee story about your episode nine. So you had Jim Brown on in episode nine and you asked him the question about you know what was next for him and what he's doing and his main thing was you know I've got this energy for waste project and we want to get it over the line you know and it was a huge thing for the business and for anyone that knows Bin Group um, you know it's run by the McGregors you know it's a family run business and they've been talking about this for over 20 years you know the planning went in really early and I'm, I was sitting listening to that podcast on the Friday night and what Jim didn't know was that we had finished the contract evaluation and we knew we were going toward the contract for residual waste to them. So I had a little chuckle to myself because I thought very soon he's going to get the letter from us to say, you know, they've been successful. And I knew how much that would mean to the business locally and um, how much it means for Perth and Kinross as a whole in this area. Um, and, you know, we've worked with them on a number of things over the years, but to you know solidify that partnership um, is fantastic. And the other benefit of that contract award for us is that they've also gone into partnership with Pat Preck, which is a large company, a French company, and they're the ones that are helping um, to, to deliver that project, you know, to bring that forward in terms of construction. So really exciting to now be involved working with both Pat Preck and Ben and seeing the delivery of something that you know has been a vision for that company for such a long time but also for me and I take a lot of joy in this to be the waste manager that's taken us from landfill to energy from waste so really big 
um, step for us in terms of moving forward on the agenda that we've talked about for a long time. That's really good. Yeah, it's it's it, you know we're kind of linking up all our podcast guests as well, which you know, helps. <laughs> you're doing you're doing well with that, Sheila. You're doing really I've well. I've done my that. research today. I thought I've got to link this back for you because this is what's exciting. Podcast Ooh. 24. There's a lot well, of little things running through now. <laughs> one one thing I would say before Jane jumps in, uh, I would say Perth and Conross, to your credit you have consistently done waste composition analysis and you do it far better than other any other authority in Scotland because you do it regularly, you keep your data up and you know anytime you can check the trends and all the rest. And I think that's a credit to yourselves that you're actually finding the budget and doing that work, which to me is really fundamental to what every council should be doing. And I think the, the sort of current approach of doing big chunks every three or four years is is daft. It should be smaller bits of work on a more regular basis. Absolutely agree. And I think the other thing, and I have to say this for all our contractors, we get really good data through our all our contracts. And the residual one's a great one now because we never separated our black bag from our bulky. And now we're getting all this data around what is the what is that composition of the bulky waste um, what what is the black bag and so if you're going to move it forward the data always has to come first and I know a lot of your other guests have talked about this it's so important we drill down into the data to make you know those decisions about how we move forward our service and the more data we get and it's the same with recycling we get really good data from our contractors about you know when we've had DMR the composition of the DMR and now moving to our new grey bin service again we're already getting data on what do those first loads look like and that's really important particularly and I know you know I've done work on this but we've we've done a lot on contamination and again having that regular data to understand what that looks like and then if you bring in initiatives is that making an impact you've got to have the data coming through all the time um, to understand that but the waste compositional definitely is something we're always going to continue to do because I think it helps demonstrate you know the success of the work that we're doing and how and it helps us then make the decision where do we go next so that's what we're as a team we're starting to look at again is all the different commodities the composition and what initiatives could we do around each of those and there was a really good and so I stole this idea from um, Stuart from Suez, he did this amazing diagram with all the different commodities and the policies that kind of sit above that. And then what I've done is sort of taken his diagram, but now extrapolate that with more data um, and the compositional. And it's it's a good way to show the team when we're talking about what we're going to do next. It's a good visual way to sort of think, where do we want to go next? Where do we want to target? But the more data we can get absolutely is pivotal, I think, to making those decisions. So what is your, your 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 next focus then? Where are you going to go next, both in your, I suppose, your your role, your current role and, you know, Perth and Ross Council as a whole? What's your next um, next project, Sheila? Well, the first thing we're going to do is probably all have a little lie down. The team <laughs> have actually said to me last week, I think because we've tried to do a lot in 18 months, um, and there's been some other projects that we have been delivering alongside the two I've mentioned about twin stream and residual, but we need a bit of a breather. And I think we need to regroup as a team. What's interesting is our waste management plan was originally um, up till 2025. 
and each year we annually sort of review it but as a team now we need to kind of just stop and take a step back and think right what are we going to be doing for the next 10-15 years and a big part of that um, which I know uh, Veronica from Ozahalton who talked at the recent conference she's from Highland Council there's a big issue that we have across local authorities about infrastructure so we have a lot of historic legacy infrastructure that's been around for a very long time underfunded underdeveloped and a lot of that is now not fit for purpose it doesn't meet the requirements and I know you've talked about pops and woods recently so now we've got a lot of councils thinking our infrastructure doesn't match now the requirement of something like that so there's a massive piece of work we're undertaking looking at a full asset review so we're looking at all our depots our transfer stations our recycling centers and thinking what do we need to do to develop that to make sure it is fit for purpose to make sure it does meet the policy agenda coming forward but we're talking tens of millions of pounds and as you've said Jane the big problem we've got in local authority is budget um, and it's how we put forward that case and get visibility so we were talking about this yesterday and I mean how do we get that visibility because the other things we're, we're spending money are schools and museums and leisure so how do we make that sex how do we make a waste transfer station sexy and I was in a meeting recently one of the senior managers said it's just a shed and I was like no it's not just a shed there's, <laughs> there's a lot more to a waste transfer station so it's how do we get that visibility and like you know coming back to taking the videos even the videos of how we operate are really useful because even people within the council maybe haven't been out and seen the tra inside the transfer station or the depot and how we actually operate so we've got a massive piece of work to, to come up with a 30-year plan that looks at all our infrastructure and how are we going to fund that and how are we going to develop that so that it is fit for purpose going forward you know for the next 10 15 20 years mm, good luck with that one <laughs> keeping well, me busy I was I was just thinking about the how do you make a waste transfer site sexy. Um, when I was lecturing on Monday, we were talking about you know waste transfer stations and all sorts of, of waste. And um, one a couple of the students came up to me at the end and said, "Oh, they said we went on a field trip to a waste transfer station, and it must have been like a recycling facility, you know, uh, or whatever." They couldn't remember where it was because it was they went on a bus and they fell asleep, but he said, when we got there, I said, it was just amazing. There was so much, so much going on, uh, you know, and we didn't realise how much was going on and how much what happened at these these facilities. And you could see all the, the way everything came in and was sort of spat out at the end and all the recycling. You could actually see it all. And I was like, well, do you know, all you need to do is take people and show them, really, don't you? But, you know, so hopefully if we can get that sort of image across that waste recycling centers are sexy we might get lots of um new entrants into the um into the waste industry the other thing that we've done we've done doors open days so we've done um where we've taken them from depot transfer station then take them up to bin farm so showed them that whole from that kind of collection point all the way up to processing and every time we do it it's it, it kind of not sells out because we don't charge for it but you know we fill all the slots and then every single person says the same thing about how fascinating that is so something I've been thinking about recently is we, we used to do that maybe like once a year but I think we need to do more of that of giving people that access and particularly because 
and recently, because we've got this confusion of having a new energy for waste contract, but a new recycling service, a lot of people are just thinking, and we've seen it in the comments, oh, you're just going to go and burn that waste. You're not going to actually recycle it. So there's something really important about the communication we're going to do with Paprik Bin on what's going on there. But also we're going to put out some communications with Sereco and Smurfit Kappa who are doing our paper cardboard because it's really important to show that process of this is where it's going and this is how it's getting processed. Because I think there's been a lot of TV programmes, documentaries that have made people think it, that they can't trust what we're telling them. So the more we can be explicit about that and whether that's site tours or videos, but just being really open about it, I think that's really going to help in terms of giving people that trust um, in the services that we're providing. Perhaps we could have a rubbish talk field trip, Alistair. Cool. We'll put that into the 2024 ideas pile, will we? <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on a little bit, Sheila, I'm assuming you're, and I, and I don't think you cannot do it, it's like the habits that you've got in the workplace you know, you're focused on recycling and recovery and all that sort of stuff. I mean, that's got to um, go into your personal life as well. Are you are you kind of the bin police as well when you go and visit your friends? Do you know, I'm, it's actually different for me because, um, and this will give you a laugh, Alistair, so obviously my mom and dad still live in South Ayrshire, so to have the, the, whatever, your 17 bins, whatever you've got. So my mum and dad... 17, <laughs> Um, so they come to my house and criticize my service and then tell me I'm putting the wrong stuff in the wrong bin it's so it's hilarious and I have to keep saying do you know they're slightly different services do you know they're both good but they're slightly different um, and that's the problem we don't do curbside glass in Perth and Canossa and my husband and my parents uh, don't like that fact probably because we have quite a lot of glass that we produce so my husband doesn't like doing the walk of shame uh, recycling point recycling um, so I tend to not tell people what I do. If I go to parties and things like that, I think the problem is if you tell people, you then get a crowd that comes round and wants to ask you all the questions. So sometimes I avoid that. Um, and I live in a small village, so I have to not respond to the social, the, 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 we've got a little village social media page. And there's so many times I want to, to jump in and my husband says, no, just leave it. You'll get into this big dialogue <laughs> about it. Um, so I try to be good. I think I think you know you've talked about this before. I mean, I had a big argument with my brother because my brother wasn't doing food waste, and it was that conversation of like, what's the point? Oh, it's a bit yucky, all that kind of stuff. So do you know, it's it's challenging because even people that are quite educated and you know know they should be doing the right thing, it's hard to sort of even get that behavioural change with your own friends and family. But I think personally for me, I think this job has made me really reflect about my own what I do in my own life and one of the areas I think for me and it's something we're going to look at as a team is sort of clothing and textiles so you know trying to be mindful now about not buying the cheap jumper and actually saying you know maybe I'll spend I'll buy one thing but I'll spend a bit more and get a quality item that I'm going to re-wear for a long time so I think there's something around that fast fashion that is definitely something we, we've got to look at and so we're hoping to do a bit more about that maybe next year um but personally for me it's about stop buying new things and actually can I hire it or could I could I just come up with a different combination you know so yeah I think that's something for me but I think being on the climate change team 
you know, and seeing some of the other project work, whether that's energy or travel, it's just about what are the small things you can do in your own in your own life. And I'm not perfect by any means. So I think there's a lot more I need to do to try and do better in some of those categories. So it's quite in the fast fashion is quite interesting because um I'm actually starting doing a lot of not a lot but you know shopping in charity shops and when you actually see the quality of the clothes in the charity shops they're all like you know good quality clothes you know you don't get any of the the cheaper fast fashion um the clothes in there which I guess it goes to show that you know they actually the good quality you can use and use and use again yeah, and we did a, a kind of clothing swap um, evening and we had lots of guest speakers, you know, not just talking about um, recycling clothes, but talking about, you know, fashion and just, you know, colours and what to wear and things like that um, and how to repair your clothes. But I ended up with the most amazing coat. And I think when I looked online, it was, you know, a very expensive coat and I'm still wearing it now you know it's a classic and so you can find absolute gems it does take a bit of time and I think you know you have to be prepared that sometimes you'll go and not find what you need but I think it's definitely something we could all be doing a bit more of and particularly supporting our high streets you know getting out there as well supporting organizations on the high street. I've got a great friend down the road who's got lots of clothes and she takes she gives me first first pick before she get before she takes it to the charity shop it's like okay it was my it was my birthday the other day, Sheila, and I got a shirt for my birthday. So that's that's me done my clothes shopping for the next year. <laughs> anyway, anyway, mo- moving on. All, all all work, no play. How do you, how do you get away from it all, and how do you relax? So, I think like a lot of people, you know, I've got two kids, a husband, lots going on with work, and during COVID, I really thought, you know, I've got to find something that's just for me. Um, you know particularly when your kids are young that's that's kind of your full focus and I'd given given up a lot of things that I'd done for myself um, and I'd read this really good book um, that sort of you know talked about you know you've got to find that thing that you love you know what is the thing that brings you joy and also what is the thing that will give you that sort of delayed gratification you know so it's something you're going to have to work at and sort of challenge you and I had a couple of conversations around that time and I kind of realised that the thing that was massively missing, which I'd done when I was younger, um, was drumming. So I play the drums and when I was younger, I used to play in bands. Um, And when you sort of said, how did I fall into this industry? I actually had a sliding doors moment uh, when I was at university because I had a, a drum teacher at the time. And he said, you know, Sheila, you could be a session drummer. You could go down to London there's a drum school down there you know you could go and you could go and take this further and so I had this you know do I, do I leave law or and go into design environmental or do I do the drums and so obviously you know at the time I thought no I'll be sensible and I'll go and uh, and do environmental management but it's always been something I've been really passionate about but when you know you have kids and you move around a lot. A drum kit's not an easy thing, particularly if you live in flats or small properties uh, to take with you. So just before COVID, my husband had said to me, you don't play this, you know, you're not using the drum kit. And I sold it and I spent two days crying and I couldn't understand why I was crying. But I think because I, I thought I'm giving up the dream here. So in COVID, I thought 
I need to get back into this. Um, and so I contacted a new drum teacher. She's only 26, youngest drum teacher I've ever had, uh, but a phenomenal woman that massively has pushed me for the last two years. And what I've realised is, number one, I could never have been a session drummer because I think when I was younger, I was really confident, thought I was an amazing drummer. Now I've realised all the things I don't know. Now I've gone back to do it. Um, but she 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 structures it round what what you want to play in your sort of what your passions are but the other thing and I suppose this probably applies applies to both of you because I know you know Alice you like running and Jane you like cycling but the thing that I didn't realize I couldn't understand why I liked it so much and then when I've started doing it again you get into a thing and I don't know if you've heard about this before called flow state you go into a flow state and I can be playing for an hour and I feel like I've been doing it for three minutes because I'm so focused I'm so loving it the time goes by so particularly for my own mental health and particularly when, you know in that COVID period which was really challenging work-wise and everything else going on I realized how much that gave me you know a bit of stress relief you know so I, I go once a week on a Saturday for my lesson but I have to practice during the week I get my homework and I've really got to work on it if I don't work at it she picks me up on it but massively seen such a benefit just you know for me personally and just for that whole managing my stress levels go in resets me for the week um so I think in terms of what next with that a lot of people have said you know you're going to go and play live again and it's hard at this stage because I'm now more self-critical so I would love to sort of play live again so if there's anyone on the podcast in the industry that fancies a little jam um or knows anyone that wants to maybe you know get the guitar out or as a singer then please get in touch with me because it'd be great to get back out there Excellent. That oh, we could be. Can we not have a, a rubbish talk band? Alistair? You could you could, put... you could do us a rubbish talk jingle. You could do us a new rubbish talk <laughs> jingle for uh, 2024. There you go. There's a challenge for you. <laughs> and you could probably now see it's my drum kit. So this is my other thing. So part of it was um, for my birthday. I thought, do you know what? I can actually now buy myself. A proper drum kit which obviously your podcast listeners can't see but you guys can yeah, now see, it's can see, behind me, can see in my office so this is my work office at home and I now have my, my drum kit which I bought myself which I absolutely love um, and so it, it means then you have to practice because I finish work and I spin my chair around and I can play so yeah perfect brilliant love it I love, love it. that I love it so so next, next what's next career-wise but you 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 happy doing more of the same or it's not quite more of the same because it's always changing but yeah I think you know in the short term obviously we're we're rolling out this new service so there's a lot to be doing in terms of getting that with the team over the line um and obviously the, the work on kind of asset management but I think like anybody you know I'm kind of mid-40s I've been in the local authority for 20 years so there's a bit of a decision I suppose for me now and this is the challenge I think you have in local authority is if you decide you want to move on in local authority if you move up you go into a more strategic role which um, is maybe got a wider environment focus or climate change focus but less maybe directly around waste or I choose to kind of stay within the industry but maybe explore kind of other areas so it's a bit of a this is a bit of career therapy for me so it's a bit of you know answers on a postcard if anyone's got any suggestions (laughs) or thoughts on this so I have been speaking to a few people in the industry about it you know there there is an opportunity would I look at private sector would look at consultancy I don't know what's on the cards for me I think I've always 
been on the mindset that you've got to keep moving forward. And so every, and I had a great person, uh, Mary Cowie, who worked at Aberty Uni earlier in my career, said to me, you know, Sheila, you should every four to five years be thinking, are you developing? You know, you need to, you know, and that might mean moving on into a new role. So either I stay where I am and I think about how do I develop myself within the role I'm doing now? Do I, do I develop in the local authority or do I look at something out with that? So, yeah, it's an interesting time because I think, you know, we've come through a really busy period. Um, and so it is kind of that. What is what is the next steps for me? So, yeah, any ideas? Welcome. We're, we're moving on to sort of one fact that you would like to share from your job or sector, which you people which you think people might know, might be statistics, might be the fact that not all your rubbish goes to landfill. Anything? Anything in particular? I think this is a difficult one um, to sort of think about in terms of a fact. So, but one thing that I've been working on, which I don't know if a lot of people in the industry know, and it's around food. So I've been working since about 2019. I did a project um, with Nikki Suter Associates. And I don't think you've had Nikki on, but if you, you know, you need to get her on the podcast. We, we do. We have tried. We have tried, but we've not not quite managed to convince Nikki. So as we call out to Nikki that I think Nikki would be an excellent guest. He would Uh, be an excellent guest. And we maybe need to try and do a bit more persuasion. So we'll work on that one. Yeah, so myself and Nikki and also our team like Charlie, we've we've done a lot of work over the years. But in 2019, um, Nikki worked with us to kind of it kind of started from the point of view of we were looking at food waste but we also wanted to kind of look at the redistribution of food as well so we started that project um, and we did a lot of community consultation um, and we looked at rural communities we looked at communities within Perth and what kind of fell out that kind of opened a can of worms because when you start to look at food in a broader sense then you start to realize there's a lot more issues that sort of sit around that and I think for me as a waste manager, because I have to I have to always I have to talk about this a lot internally and people wonder why as a waste manager am I generally talking about food? But I think one of the things that I'd read around that time was um a book by Carolyn Steele called Hungry Cities, and there's there's a TED talk that she's done about this. Um and she talks about the fact of why well, why do we have food waste? We have food waste because we have a disconnected food culture. And a lot of that is predicated in the history. So there's a whole lot of stuff in the book about that. But the other thing that she talks about is fear of dirt or the fact that we don't trust food anymore. And a lot of that's come through, you know, local authorities are part of that, you know, our food safety and what we've done around all of that. So she talked about that. So for us, it was like, you know, here we have this cultural problem, but we need to kind of start to look at it in that kind of broader food systems approach. And what came out that piece of work that Nikki did was that was a real appetite within communities around creating community hubs, not just about, um, you know, so that they could provide food, but it could be sitting down and having a community meal, you know, sitting down together as a community and having food together or learning, you know, cooking skills. But not just doing that with kids, but doing that maybe as a family or doing that as a community group. And we published that report in the February and a month later COVID happened 
And a lot of the recommendations in that report and a lot of the groups that we wanted to work with, a lot of things then accelerated. And I became a kind of lead officer um, in terms of that emergency food response. So suddenly I got to see it from a totally different side and it, it opened up my world to, you know, if we're going to tackle food waste, we really got to look at this whole cultural issue around food. And so not talking about food waste at all, but talking about growing our own food. And there's been recent studies about talking about that. You know, if you grow your own food, you know, you don't waste the food. And again, there's another great TED talk, which I could probably share for the link, um, where the, the guy the guy in the TED talk talks about, you know, if kids if kids grow kale, they'll eat kale. And so in COVID, we, we ran that experiment. I didn't grow kale, but I grew lettuce because I thought lettuce is one of the things as a family we waste quite a lot of and the kids don't really eat it. So if we grow it ourselves, we'll eat it. And they did. And, it, you know, very small things like that. And so I'm not saying you have, and I'm not an expert grower. I'm not good at growing things, but I managed to keep the lettuce alive, you know. So I think this is coming back to my earlier point about the small things you can do. You don't need to make these massive changes, but those kind of changes can make a difference. So that project with Nikki has been a real springboard into um, work I'm now doing with some other officers around developing a good food partnership and so the thing that a lot of people don't know about is there is an organisation called um, Sustainable Food Places which is supported by Nourish Scotland and it's a network of food partnerships across Scotland who are sharing best practice who are talking about these issues and a lot of them are third sector organisations they're not from the waste industry and they're, they're bringing a different perspective and they're bringing a different narrative to the conversation. And so what I think we need to do as an industry is start to look more broadly like that. And I think the work, I, the time I've had in this space has really opened my eyes up to, I think a lot of time we default to food waste collections and what we're doing there. And, we, and we've talked about love, food, hate, waste, and that is a good campaign. And I think there's merit in love, food, hate, waste you know messaging and we still need to do that but how do we broaden that so we're not even talking about food waste how are we just changing the culture by getting more people to grow their own getting people together to know how to cook properly as a family you know all those simple things so that bit of work is something we're now developing on and I'm hoping here's another shout out to Nikki hopefully there might be another bit of work Nikki <laughs> um, and we're going to look at the supply chain and we're going to get a lot of people in the supply chain locally into a dialogue and think about how what are the barriers you know through that how do we avoid food loss at that production stage and then how do we avoid the food waste at the back end and I think as an industry we've 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 too much gone into our silos and we look at this in a very small way and I think if we're going to tackle some of the big stuff like food waste and I know you've talked about that a lot and I know you've got your little shout out to people about looking at your your figures around that which I'd like to come back on Alistair I haven't had time but I'm going to come back <laughs> on it I think that's the kind of thing we need to do as an industry is have a topic like that and then all of us drill into it and share our knowledge but bring in other voices that can also contribute to that so it's not a fact but what I would like people to do in the podcast is go and check out sustainable food places if you've not and if you're in the waste sector you should be getting involved in helping whatever your local partnership is if you're in an area or helping the whole network and think about how we can take forward food waste as part of that wider agenda. That was that was really interesting Sheila in terms of food waste mm -hmm. that's like, is, is sort of an insight I've not sort of really thought about before so I'd love to 
quite happy to share some of these links. You know, you mentioned a couple of TED Talks and links. You know, we can add that on at the bottom of the the, the sort of show notes if people are interested. So, yeah, thank thank you for that. Uh, just move, moving on, uh, we're going to go to your bit of your favourite bit of industry jargon or acronym. So. I did have one and I know it's been stolen because you had you've you've talked about pops. And the reason I find that funny is my grandfather I called my grandfather pops. pops. So when that came came up at the time, that's made me laugh a lot. So I'm not gonna talk about that because I know you've already done pops and wads, which are my absolute top topical right now. I think for me, um I haven't really touched on this, but I think it's not really my favourite acronym, but I think just something that's kind of topical for me at the moment. And I've talked about waste transfer stations, WTS, but HWRCs, household waste recycling centres or RCs and RPs, recycling centres and recycling points. Again, we talk a lot about curbside collection, but we don't talk enough about the other services we provide um, that are, are bringing in those other materials. And I think, like I've mentioned there, we're doing a big asset review looking at you know are those recycling centres fit for purpose and a lot of the time they're not because the footprint's not big enough now because we've just expanded and expanded in terms of what we're collecting and now with pops um coming forward you know that's another requirement to maybe separate further again so I think HWRCs for me is something that's quite topical and I think we need to think better about the infrastructure we have um across Scotland to sort of manage those other types of materials that we're not picking up in the curb side. I think that 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 focus in HWRCs has come up the last few podcasts, isn't it? Pam Walker brought it up and 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 Colin also mentioned it. So you're right, I think it is really topical. So we're going to give you a just to end or almost end, we're going to give you a magic wand to do something in the waste sector. What would you like to use it for? No pressure. I would love us all to get in a big room together and have a chat because I think we've talked about this over the last couple of years and I know there's discussion of co-design or co-design, we're co-designing the co-design right now. I don't know if anyone's heard that come out from Zero Waste Scotland. And I think if I could actually just get a couple of days, I'd love us all to just get in a room and start some of the conversations. And I think what you're doing, Alistair, about, you know, bringing up a topic and challenging that, and if we can get a way to start those conversations flowing, I think that's what we need to be doing. I think we're kind of waiting a lot of the time for others to come forward. So I think if as an industry we could get better at getting some of the key stakeholders in a room together or through some kind of platform where we can start to really thrash out some of the detail around the policy that's coming forward. Because I think that's the biggest challenge um, for local authority waste managers. And, and one, of, one of the others, um, Ross, was on a call and kind of said, you know, we just need to clone ourselves right now because there's so much coming forward. How are we going to do this um, with small teams and reducing budgets? So I think there needs to be a recognition of the pressure on local authorities to deliver on a lot of that stuff and do it in a way that's that's planned and that we're not rushing the projects and we're not rushing the delivery because I think there's a real danger we get it wrong. So I think there does need to be more open dialogue I think the other thing because this has come out through the circular economy bill and the route map is mother little magic wand requests about some of the language so we talk a lot about enforcement and I don't like that as a concept so at the moment we've got two recycling assistants that are going out 
and they're speaking to residents and they're, they're the ones that have helped us tackle contamination. Um, and had some really honest conversations with some of our residents. It's been challenging, but we I think we've forgotten that we need to get out into communities and have those conversations. Um, and that's really appreciated by the residents. So I think we've got to stop talking about enforcement, but talking about it in a more proactive way. And I think using the phrase recycling assistant or something like that is is better because I think when you start to talk about enforcement with the public, then they shut down and they don't want to use the service properly and they're not listening and they're not engaging. So I think some of the language we use in the industry needs needs to be a bit more positive and a bit more proactive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, quite right. No, I, I, I agree about the dialogue. I think I don't think there's enough dialogue, honest dialogue between, you know, whether it's councils, waste contractors, whatever, you know, the, the, we're all, we're all, you know, the waste contractors to a certain extent have been complicit. They've accepted waste that's heavily contaminated. You know, they should be pushing back and saying, no, hang on a minute here. You know, you need, to, you know, whoever it's sending it to them, you need to do something about that. And we all need to be a bit more honest about what, what's working and what's not working. If it's not working, certainly within Scotland, I would say there's the skills and expertise to, to sort it. It's just it's just making that happen. So. Yeah, and I think so. I think it is like you're saying it, and we we've been lucky. We've had some really good contractors, and we have really good meetings with our contractors where we can discuss a lot of these issues. And that's why we've been able to sort of develop further things. Like when the contamination was an issue, we were with Suez, and we had a number of conversations about about that. You know, they were extremely helpful in coming up and having a look at the material and speaking about their own processes. And I think it's about how do we all learn from each other. We all need to work as an industry. And I think coming back to my previous point about transparency, there needs to be much more transparency around what we're doing as an industry. We need to get better at the comms. I don't think we're doing that enough consistently or collectively um, in terms of, of the communication side of things. And I think that's something that's definitely, so maybe that's my third magic wand, is that, you know, <laughs> the early days, and again, bringing back Nikki. You're only meant to one. Sorry, I'm, I'm name checking Nikki again because, the, you know, the early days with, with Scottish Waste Awareness Group and what we did around comms at the time that she was kind of leading on that work was fantastic. And we had a really strong communications offer across local authorities and what we were doing in the sector. And we've lost our way with that now. We get a lot of comms campaign materials, but nobody's doing anything consistently. I think there's been some good examples with... Um, you know the the work around like you've talked about this in other podcasts about you know the vapes and the fires there's been some really good stuff health and safety stuff that's come out from switch some really good little initiatives that are coming forward where we've actually come together as an industry and kind of shared that kind of information but I think we need to be more planned around that about what is coming up for us as an industry can we pull our resources and I know there's some of the bigger companies that have got good comms and marketing teams that really know their stuff so can we come together and kind of share on that? And that was something I, I chatted about at the Scottish Resources Conference. Um, and I've still not heard from anybody. You know, I did say to people, please come and have a chat to me about communication. And nobody has come forward and had that conversation. So, you know, I'm kind of putting that shout out again. I think, you know, we need to think as an industry how we're doing that better. I've, I've, proposed, I've proposed to switch, and it's not been agreed how switch is going to pull this forward, but on the subject of vapes, batteries, fires and so on. My 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 theory is you could have four or five social media posts on these subjects. Fairly simple, fairly straightforward. 
agree it with local authorities, agree it with waste contractors, RMS, CISA, whatever, and then consistently ask these organisations to feed out in their social media, you know, one a month or one every two weeks or whatever. And that, I think, would get, is I think the whole the whole communication things has changed since, you know, the days of Nikki Sutter 20 years ago and it was an ad campaign, it was newspaper adverts. It's, it's changed drastically since then. And I don't think we've, as a sector, we've not capitalised on using social media consistently across the organisations. Yeah, and it's a, and it's a low cost option. So, yeah. you know, we should be using it better and we should be using our platforms. And also, and this is something I learned from Nikki on a piece of work she did for us about how you get your other stakeholders, you know, so even as a local authority, we've got other people we could reach out to say, can you reshare on your platform? So it's about getting that leverage across, you know, multiple channels that have got good reach. Um, and we we need to get better at doing that. So again, I'm happy to have that conversation with anyone that's interested. Um, I, th- I think we, we definitely need to move that forward as well. I think it's always, isn't it? You have big campaigns at the beginning, it's all sorts of like publicity put out and then, you know, it all dribbles off and people don't you know, forget about it and just go back to the way they were. Whereas, like you say, if it's consistent message going out all the time, then, you know, people would still be aware of it rather than it fading into the background. Um, OK, last question, Sheila. Do you have any advice for anyone wanting to follow a similar career path? How how to get started? Where would where would they look? Where would they go? You know, any suggestions? So I suppose going back to what I kind of said about the start of my career, um, I just sought out little opportunities. And I think for anyone in the industry, it's thinking who can you reach out to? What contacts have you got? Get out there and just find those little opportunities. Like that taking a month's I'm going to go and work for Aloha Community Enterprises for a month. I just took that opportunity, but then I made what I could out of it. And I think if you don't have any contacts through friends, family, whatever, and we've seen this a lot as a team, is get the name of your waste services manager at your local authority if you're a student and say, I'll come and do a project with you. And we've had loads of amazing students come forward recently and done really useful bits of work for us. and the, and the, th- the point with that is you get to know them. So then if you advertise a job down the line, you already know what they're capable of doing. They've kind of shown their worth. Um, so I think it's just find the contacts and reach out. Like, don't don't feel shy about contacting people or emailing people. And whether that's, you know, you're a student and you can do a placement or whether that's you just can offer some time to go and shadow somebody. I think that's probably the most meaningful thing so I don't know I've now said that I'm probably going to end up with quite a lot of emails with people contacting me but <laughs> you know I think that's what people should be doing because I think it's the best way you've got to get experience on the ground and that that was the thing I lacked as a student you know I had a lot of theory didn't have a lot of practical experience and I was lucky when I came into the industry I got lots of practical experience on the ground really quickly so the only way you can do that is to reach out I think find those contacts and use them exploit them <laughs> oh, totally um, everybody's got to start somewhere isn't it and you know if you've got contacts use them people you know people in the industry will be if it, like you say every started somewhere yeah but now it would be remiss of me Sheila to not mention two of your Perth colleagues who were the inspiration for the podcast so 
John John Cassidy and Stephen Watt from Young Hearts Run Free podcast, uh, who uh, people have listened to some of the earlier episodes. That was the sort of inspiration I was on their Young Hearts Run Free podcast, which is mainly about running. Uh, well, it's about running and food, actually, mainly. Uh, so they both work for Perth and Canross, I believe. And I think they you do. know them both. I, I know both of them. I've worked with both of them. Um, John's done a lot of work with my team as well. Uh, and so, yeah, I actually took some advice before I decided I was going to come on and do this. I, I was like, <laughs> I need some advice on how to do a podcast well. But they kind of said what you said, you know, it's just it, she's at like a conversation in the pub and enjoy it. And so, yeah, I've, I've listened to a few of theirs as well. And their their podcast is great. So it's a very circular story, this, isn't it? Circular Absolutely. story. I've now ended up here. So they said they would give this a listen. <laughs> oh, there you go. I'll, I'll give it a plug. I'll make sure I tag them on Twitter or whatever or social media so they know. Uh, they, they have, in fairness, they've had a few mentions over the over the podcast. So. so, well, thank you very much for your time. That was that was excellent. Some, some really thoughtful uh, material there. So thank you. Thanks so much for finally having me on after yeah, a week. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> it was worth yeah. the wait. It was worth the wait. <laughs>